thank you just for who you are and just just the power that you have god we thank you that the fact that the god of the universe wants an intimate relationship with us lord that you care to know us lord and you want to hear from us god i just thank you just yeah just for who you are lord and i pray that you would bless the message lord that our hearts would just be open and receptive to the things that you want to teach us that you want to tell us lord that you want to encourage us in or even exhort us in god so we thank you for just speaking to us and just for loving us the way that you do, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you all turn around and greet each other in the love of the Lord? A lot of expectations there, but from the looks of it, of you, it's a good day. It's a wonderful day. It's a day that the Lord has made. Amen. It's like the amen. Absolutely. I think it says, "Let us rejoice and be glad in it." Is there anyone here for the very first time on this Sunday at this Calvary Chapel? Would you raise your hand, please, and let us greet you and thank you for being with us this morning, spending your time with us, and we just ask that God will bless you. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. On the contrary, be glad that you're here for the very first time because we all love you and we uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for being with us, folks. And uh, God bless you all. <clears throat> By the way, first-timers always get a uh, free lunch at the cafe which is open, by the way, today, and they are offering, this is for after the service, okay, uh, they are offering today menudo, well, it's menudo in Spanish, and picadillo, picadillo, as you know it better, uh, wonderful dishes today, so come by and partake of it after the service, just enjoy yourself, and you help a worthy cause, because all the funds that are raised at the cafe are distributed to different ministries and the needs of them. So thank you for both participating and filling yourself with some good stuff. I'd also like to call your attention to pray for those people who were in that bus. That uh, There was a bus coming back with a track team from different schools in the area. And uh, so far, I believe one of the coaches uh, was killed. 
uh, but uh, we want to pray for them because we don't know all the details. I know the, a pickup ran into, that was going in the wrong direction ran into the bus and it was full of kids from the track teams. Um, God be with them and uh, your prayers also will help that. Okay, so don't forget them. And then the rest of the uh, announcements, please do look them over. The, the, the Calvary Chapel fundraiser for the scholarship uh, fund, we'd like to uh, encourage you to buy your tickets for that. It will be uh, redeemable on May the 21st and uh, on, on that Sunday. And this is the only fundraiser we have for the scholarships. And uh, we want to help the kids that are graduating from the ones from that attend, rather, this Calvary Chapel. And uh, we do it with your help. So thank you for that. And uh, the rest of it, read the bulletin, okay? That's why it's printed out for your benefit. And now we have a special announcement from the young couple. I want to ask you to encourage them uh, coming up here. This is... <laughs> As you can see, he's very humble. Uh, this is the couple. This is the couple that has stepped forward to lead the VBS this year. And th that's really great, isn't it? Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good morning, you guys. Um, my name is Melody, and this is my fiance, Josh, and we are uh, boldly stepping up as your directors of Vacation Bible School. So um, the theme this year is Operation uh, Arctic. Uh, the week will be July the 17th through the 21st, so please, we are um, having sign-ups for volunteers. So we both encourage you guys to... Um, to sign up, and if you don't sign up, please pray for that week because it's a lot of ministry work and it's a lot of hands that um, go into this. And so we pray that this week will go well. And so thank you, and we'll see you in the summer. I always try and come out as the announcements are ending because then I feel like you're clapping for me. Uh, if you all, <laughs> you guys are so much nicer than the youth. They would have just laughed at me. Uh, if you guys can open up to Second uh, Timothy chapter three, we're going to start in verse ten. So it's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. And starting in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, Paul writes and he says, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we come before you right now. We just thank you for this opportunity to study your word. 
We pray, Lord, that you would just prepare our hearts for what you have for us, Lord. We do lift up the, the accident that took place involving the track teams. We pray, Lord, for the, the families and that are impacted, that might be impacted, Lord. And, and we pray for the children and the coaches, Lord. We just pray that you would watch over all of them. Just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this we're going to be looking at today in, in just what Paul is talking about. We're going to be talking about raising up the Timothys, finding those young, I guess really that next generation, and encouraging them and building them up. And it's something that, you know, I, I went to the, the pastor's conference with the other pastors about a month ago, and it was one of those teachings that really stuck with me that, that they talked about the need to raise up that next generation. That a lot of times when you go to different churches, whether it's here locally or even just nationwide, that that missing age group a lot of times is that college, you know, that young adult group that maybe they've been involved from the time they've been kids and, and junior high, high school, but somewhere along the way, something happens and they're that disappearing group in the church and how it's something that we need to take notice of and how we need to look and find those young Timothys and raise them up. And that's kind of what Paul does. And that's even the example that he's going to give us in how to do that as he's writing here to Timothy. And the first thing that he says is, but you have carefully followed my doctrine and manner of life. You know, I like that what Paul says there is that you have carefully followed my doctrine and manner of life. Not that you've just heard about it, or not that I just told you about it, but that you followed it. That Paul invited Timothy into his life to see him live out what he believed. That it was more than just something that he told him to go do, but it was something that he had first seen in the life of Paul. And it's one of those things that, man... I think we need to ask ourselves today if the youth of our church, if our kids are seeing that when they see us. If they can look at us as we walk through the halls or if, if we're parents or uncles, aunts, whatever. If they can see us at the different events and if they can see that sound doctrine in, in the way that we're living. If they can look at that and follow that example. Because I'm going to tell you whether you realize it or not, they're watching they're looking. And it's one of those that, man, Paul, it was more to him than just a Sunday morning thing or a Wednesday night. It was more than just a week during VBS or, or a week on retreat or any of these things. It was one of those that Paul lived out what he believed. And he could tell Timothy confidently, you've seen it in my life. Now continue what you've seen. Is that something that we're able to tell the people, the young kids in our church, the young kids in our lives, what you've seen in my life, now go do? Because I think a lot of times what happens is that we get into this place of complacency, almost this attitude of, well, you know what, I, I've already done it. I've already put in my time. Now it's time for them to do it. Now it's their turn. And while there is some truth in that, if they haven't seen it, how are they going to know what to do? And we have to make sure that before we walk off the scene, before we decide to hand it off to somebody else, 
that we've raised somebody up to hand it off to. And it starts with the way that we live. I like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, because there it's this really short verse, but this really powerful verse. And in 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 1, what Paul says there is he says, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And again, I, I love that because there's this idea there that you only imitate me as I imitate Christ. That you only follow me as I am following him. I think sometimes we want to turn these kids into our clones that look like us, act like us, and think like us. And I know it's a struggle for me sometimes because I have a, a son who's 16 going on 17. And man, sometimes I look at him and I'm like, what are you? Like, you know, I, I don't understand him. He came home the other day for a track meet and he said, Dad, I need to dye my hair blue for track. And I said, why? Is it going to make you jump further? Like, is there some chemical quality to the blue hair that your natural brown hair, it's more aerodynamic? I just, I didn't understand that because, you know, and, and maybe it's because I didn't play a sport like he did. I played golf, but I never came home and said, you know what? I go to Burgess, so I need purple hair, purple hair for this golf tournament. Like, it was just never a thought. But he, he wanted his hair blue, and now, you know, my daughter has decided that he looks better with blue hair. And so she's campaigning for him. Dad, if he has good grades, can his hair always be blue? <laughs> I don't get it. You know, I, I look at him and sometimes, and, and I was telling him last night, we had one of those conversations where he does stuff. And I'm like, dude, why are you the way that you are? Like, I just, it makes no sense. And sometimes it's easy to look at the youth like that because, man, they dress different. They look different. They sound different. Sometimes it's hard to understand them. I had a kid text me the other day and we were talking and, and I asked her a question and she responded with I-D-E-K. And I sat there in confusion because I was like, this isn't English. And I know I don't speak Spanish well, but I'm fairly certain it's not Spanish either. And so I sat there and finally I said, dude, what's I-D-A-K? And she's like, it's, I don't even know, duh. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you literally took the time to take the first letter of each word and just send that. How lazy are you? And they do that with everything, IDC, LOL. You know, there, there's even now a mashup of I'm going to, and, and they just say, ama. Oh, it drives me nuts. They'll come into the room and they're, uh, I'ma go to the retreat. I'ma punch you, you know, like, <laughs> come on, man. Like, and I want them sometimes to be like, okay, this is the way we do it. But notice what Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Not just imitate me. See, they're going to do things differently because, let's be real, we do things differently than our parents did. We're not clones, and you didn't create a clone of yourself. And see, it's not about them doing things and speaking the way that we do. It's about them doing what God has called them to do and speaking the things that he has put on their heart to speak. And I think sometimes we need to worry less about what it looks like and look at what it is. 
And we need to be willing to raise them up and, man, to give them that opportunity to serve, even if it's in a way that, man, maybe it doesn't make sense to us because they're reaching kids that we're not. And our job is not to sit there and say, okay, look, you need to do it my way, but you need to do it God's way. I think sometimes it's where we fall short. Because there is sometimes that lack of understanding. See, Paul invited Timothy into his life not to be the next Paul, but to raise up the next Timothy. And as we go on, we see that not only did he invite him to, to see what he had done in his doctrine and in, his, in the way he lived, but we also see that he says, also my purpose. Look at the direction in which I was going. Paul knew where he was headed and everything he did in his life, it pointed to that. He lived what he believed and man, his whole life was pointing towards heaven. That's where he was going and that's where he was inviting others to go. Man, Paul lived like he knew what his purpose here on earth was. In fact, we see that even as in the next chapter over in, in chapter 4, 2 Timothy, verses 6 through 8, we see him telling Timothy, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul said, listen, I'm being poured out. I'm going home. That's just what I've been living for, Timothy. And this is what we ought to be living for. This is my purpose, and you've seen that in my life. Again, my, the question that, that rises out of that is what do they see in us? What is our purpose here? What are we living for? What are we making the priorities in our conversations, in the things that we do with our children? What are the priorities? You know, I, I, I told first service, listen, I understand the importance of sports and teams and everything else. But as I was talking to some of the ladies in the back, I, I was telling them, I do not think it is any coincidence that games are now on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. I don't think that just happened. And I think sometimes we need to make those hard decisions. What's the priority? Is it seeing them succeed in sports or is it seeing them succeed and walk with the Lord? What are we teaching them? What is the most important thing? Because here's what we tell them in the youth room. Before you're a volleyball player, before you're an orchestra, an actor, before you're a baseball player, a basketball player, a football player, before you're any of those things, you are a child of God and that comes first. Everything else is after that. And while we say it, we need to live it. We need to make that the priority. Because sometimes we look around when they get to college and we wonder why it is that fellowship within the church is no longer important and we wonder why they're not serving and we wonder this and we wonder that. And the question becomes then, was that a priority for them when, while they were growing up? Because if it wasn't then, it's not going to be now. Because they're going to follow what they've seen See, because 
That's what makes the impact. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 also talks about the discipline that he lives in because of the purpose that he lived for. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 24, one of the things that Paul says. is he talks about the fact that this is a race, or, or he refers to it as a race, and he talks about running to win. And he says, starting in verse 24 of 1 Corinthians, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul says, I have a discipline in my life. Because, man, I need to be an example. And the last time I was up here, I think I shared with you that my wife and I had started going to a CrossFit gym. And I know that it may not always look like it, but I'm still going. And I love going because the people that are there working out with us, like the people that attend the class, they're not all bodybuilders. And that's encouraging for me because, again, I know it comes as a shock, but I'm not a bodybuilder. Second, first service was the meanest. Like, it was like I had to wait for a little bit for the laughter to stop. It's like, you punks, man. But like, I, I know I'm not in the greatest shape, but what encouraged me even more about going to that place is that the guys that are training us do look like bodybuilders. And that is encouraging for me because they're doing some of the same workouts we are. They've been doing them longer. And so I can look at them and say, hey, this works. I mean, if the trainers looked like me and when they started working out, took off their shirt and said, hey, one day you can look like this. I'd be like, dude, I'm already there, man. Like, why, what am I paying you for? I, could, I don't need to be sweating. I could be going to Dunkin' Donuts, which, let's be real, sometimes I sweat there too because you get through that first dozen and it's hard. <laughs> but it's one of those that, man, when you go and, and you go and somebody's trying to teach you something, you want to be able to look at their life and say, hey, I see that this works in you. I want to see the results because, man, if it's not working for you, then why am I going to follow what you're saying? And see, what Paul is, is exampling for us, what he's saying is, they can first see how it works in my life. They can see how it's changed my life. And they can see that it works. See, they need to see in our lives that it works. They need to see it lived out. Because if we're telling them and not doing it, it's just empty words falling on deaf ears. But when they see it, when they can point to it and say, look, I've seen this in the life of my parents, my grandparents, my aunts, my uncles, it makes a difference. See, Paul tells Timothy, you saw also my purpose. Going back to 2 Timothy, when Paul goes on and he says, You've also seen in me my faith. And I think that's another one of those really important ones. Where do they see us go 
when things aren't perfect? How do they see us react when things don't go our way? Are we just like everybody else and we try and do everything else before we pray? Before we take it to the Lord? Do they see us take things to the Lord? Do they see us live out? We tell them all the time, hey, in Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14, we're told that, man, we have a high priest that can sympathize with us. We, we see it say, hey, come boldly for help in time of need. We see it say those things. We quote those verses to them. We tell them these things. Do they see us come boldly to the throne of grace? Do we pray as a family? I mean, I know that there are times that we try and shelter our kids from seeing the things that we're going through. But I want to encourage you, maybe you don't have to get into all the details, but you can say, listen, as a family, we need to lay this before the Lord. And we're not going to get into the specifics of it, but I want you to pray with us. Because, man, it makes a difference in their lives. They begin to see how real it is and where they should go. I have a daughter that's five years old, and she constantly teaches me about the importance of prayer. You know, there are times that we go to, we, uh, go to put her to sleep at night, and she's just... For whatever reason, she's freaked out about everything. Like she'll hear a car drive by. Daddy, what's that? You know, the air conditioner comes on. Daddy, what was that? She freaks herself out by breathing. She'll be like, Daddy, I heard someone breathing. Layla, that was you. Are you sure? Daddy, I can't hear myself breathe. Um, Layla, it was you. Layla, let's pray. Okay, Daddy. And so we start praying. And like I've told the other services, I don't know if I should be excited about this or concerned, but normally by the time we're about midway through the prayer, she's asleep. To me, what I've chosen to believe is not that I pray too long, but that she understands the peace that comes from leaving it in God's hands. That she's learning about faith. You know, even last night, as we're praying for her to go to sleep, I had my eyes closed, so I have no idea how it happened, but something flew into her eye. And so I'm about to say, in Jesus' name, she's like, wait, Daddy, you forgot to pray for my eye. And I said, okay, and whatever's going on with Layla's eye, I hope it works. And she fell asleep. She went right to sleep. She understands faith. When her friends are sick, the first thing she comes home from school and says is, Daddy, we need to pray for my friend because they are not here. We need to pray for my teacher. You know what, Daddy, can you pray for my friend? He fell down. Oh, okay, they're going to be at school tomorrow. See, we need to be teaching our kids these things because they understand them. Even at a young age, they understand what's real and what's not. And they understand that, man, if we constantly talk about faith but never live it out, then, man, it's nothing more than a fairy tale like Pete's Dragon, Mickey Mouse, and all these other things. But man, if we make it real for them, if we tell them, listen, you know what, honey, we, our, our car broke down, so you know what, let's pray. You know what, we're struggling. You know what, let's pray. You know what, whatever's going on, let's pray about it. Let's take it to the Lord. They start to understand faith. And as they get older, they know where they can go. 
We need to be teaching. We need to be exampling. We need to be doing these things in our own lives so that they can then copy it in theirs. As Paul goes on back in 2 Timothy, he, he mentions a list of a few other things. And he says now, you know, not only my, my life, my doctrine, my faith, but you know what? The long-suffering, the love, the perseverance, and then also the persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of all of them the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We need to teach them about the battle they're in. Because some of them don't even understand it. We need them to understand that yes, being a Christian is definitely worth it and definitely what we ought to be doing and we ought to be living for heaven. But that means that they are going to suffer here. You are going to have trials. You are going to be attacked. You are going to go through all these things. But you have a God who delivers you out of all of them. That the same God that delivered Daniel from the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace that kept Noah through the flood, delivered the people of Israel out of slavery. All these different things is the same God that we serve now. And that even though the trials are going to come and they're going to be real and they're going to be hard, that they don't go through them alone. We need to be serious and real with them about the battle they're in because it is a spiritual one. We need to not downplay what they're going through. Sometimes it's so easy to, to hear their problems and say, oh man, you know what? You have no idea what stress is. You're what, 12 years old? You're 15? You're in high school? You don't know what it is. Come talk to me when you're an adult. Well, if we answer like that, they're never going to come talk to us when they're an adult. What they're going through is very real to them because, let's be real, it was very real to us too. And there are some very real friends that we know that very really didn't make it. The battle is real. And just because it's not the same as ours doesn't make it any less intense. And we need to be equipping them for the fight. Because there are so many casualties you know, we've been going on Wednesday nights, going back through Ephesians chapter 6, looking at verse 10 and on, as we're looking at the armor of God and, and everything else. But I love how Paul begins it by saying, you know what, finally, brethren, be strong in the power of the Lord and in His might. Teaching them that, man, that's where their strength comes from. Being grounded, knowing who your God is. Be strong in the Lord and in His might. Because what you're dealing with, it's not your friends, it's not your teachers, it's not all these other things, as Paul will go on in that same chapter and explain. It is the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That these things may have a physical face and a physical name, but they're spiritual in origin. And they need to understand that. They need to know what their armor is. They need to know who their God is. They need to know what the commander is telling them. And they need to know how to fight. Because what they're dealing with now is way more intense than what we dealt with. They're dealing with things like pansexuality, where it's not even about being homosexual or bisexual anymore. It's about being pansexual. And I can be attracted to anybody because I don't see gender. I don't even understand how that works. 
I mean, if I see somebody come up to me with a beard, I'm assuming it's a man. Like, I'm not like, excuse me, what are you? Like, you know, I understand. But now it's, oh, well, I don't see gender because gender is fluid. I could have been born a boy, but really in my heart, I was always a girl. And so you need to call me she, or you need to allow me to use the girls' restroom. There are petitions going around in some of our local high schools to make gender-neutral bathrooms. This is what they're facing. This is what they're being told is normal. And we need to teach them why it's not. We need to show them. I remember when Eric Nava and I took over the junior high 13, 14 years ago, we decided to go through the book of Romans. I would love to stand here and tell you that we prayed about it and we thought about it, but we were like, you know what, what would be an easy book to do? Hey, let's do Romans. We're like, that seems safe. We got to like the, towards the end of Romans chapter one and we're like, oh snap, that's homosexuality. These are junior hires. What do we do? You know, and so we went to Joe and I will always remember what Pastor Joe told us. He said, do not lower the bar. Do not soften it. Do not change it. You know what? Because the world isn't lowering the bar for them. They're hearing the world's explanation. And if they don't hear the truth now, it's going to be too late later. And I would challenge you, do not lower the bar for your kids. Talk to them about the issues. Get real with them. Get in the fight with them. And I watched a show that some of you guys may have heard of, and I'll be honest, it's, it's really hard for me to watch, so I haven't watched the whole thing yet. But I, wa- I, I, I decided to check out that show, 13 Reasons, and it's disturbing on a couple of levels, one of which is how little the parents seem to know about their kids and how worried they are about invading their privacy. Coming from a kid who had very little privacy growing up, here is my request to you, invade their privacy. Listen to the music that they've got on their phones and their iPods. Look at what they're watching, what they're talking to their friends about, because they're dealing with things that they are not equipped for. And some of them are being eaten up by the world because they're not ready for what's being thrown at them. Don't be their best friend. Get in there and be real with them. Fight for them because the battle is real. See, Paul says, man, yeah, I suffered, but God delivered me through it all. And we need to show them where their strength, where their salvation can be found, that it's found at the cross. The way it's so important because of what Paul then goes on to say in verse 13. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. This world is not getting better. It is getting worse. And they need to be the lights. They need to be the next youth pastors, the next pastors, the missionaries. And they need to be trained to do that now. 
because they're in a mission field. Their high schools are a mission field. Something I didn't mention in the other services is, is I am deeply appreciative of all of you that are teachers, administrators, or you work with teenagers in the school system on a daily basis, and you're the light because, man, you are behind enemy lines. You are where the rest of us may not necessarily be able to get, and, man, we're praying for you all. Because we know the battle is real there in the high schools. We know that some of the things that are taking place there that are being led by the teachers are not right. Amen. We're thankful that you are there standing. So we need to be willing to stand for them. I think sometimes, again, it is easy to look at them and, and you see them in the cafe as they're cutting in front of you for menudo. Hopefully I didn't say that as white as it sounds in my head. Or to see them yelling and screaming as they walk down the hall and brushing past you and look at them and be like, oh man, what an annoyance. How frustrating. Oh, these kids today, they have no respect. They have none of this and they have none of that. And like I said, you know what? I am as guilty of it at times as anybody else. But I love the way that Jesus looked at the multitudes in Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew 9, starting in verse 35, we see it says that Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. When you're driving down the street and you pass by a school and you see the kids sh shifting from classes or going out to lunch, look out at them and you're going to see sheep without a shepherd. You're going to see kids that are scattered and weary. You're going to see them lost and confused, worn out by all the things that the world is throwing at them, and they're looking for a shepherd. They're looking for somebody to come and to pour into their lives. One of the coolest things about Youth for Hire and what we do with those kids is not the, the money that comes out of it, but the relationships that are formed. We, we sent some kids out a couple of weeks ago on a Saturday, and they went out to do a job for this, this couple that we'll just say they're older than the age of 18. And they went out there, and the, the, uh, the husband was out there working with them. And at one point, he needed to go get something at Home Depot. So he piled them in their car, and, and he took them to Home Depot. And I was so worried, like, you know, because I, I don't go out to Youth for Hire anymore because I put in my time. But I was so worried. I guess maybe I shouldn't say I was so worried since I didn't go help them. But I was slightly worried about how long they were out there so I, I was just I was I was I went and I bought them pizzas and we went and, and sat with them and they were so excited like they loved every minute they spent at that house you know to this it's been a couple of weeks and they still talk about the experiences they had with this gentleman at Home Depot and and, and just his backyard and and all the different things that that he allowed them to do and and they worked hard 
And they don't talk about the work. They talk about the time he spent with him. And I was talking to him as he left yesterday. And I told him, man, you impacted these kids for life. And he said, I didn't even do anything. I was kind of sick. I didn't even really help them. And I said, that's fine. You listened. And that's all they want. Sometimes I I know some of you guys get annoyed because you're going to lunch and your kids are hanging out in the youth room. And and there's this idea that, oh, well, you know what, it's okay because they're talking about spiritual things. I must confess to you right now, normally we're talking cupcakes. Like we will have a 15-minute conversation, sometimes debate, sometimes heated debate on who makes the best cupcakes and what icing. Those are the conversations I cherish Because those are the ones that open up to the serious. Because if we don't stop and take the time to listen to the ridiculous, they're never going to open up about the serious. I love it when they come and they start telling me about what's going on at school or their video games or their favorite drink or their favorite cake or whatever. And, oh, Pastor Sam, you need to come with me to this restaurant. There are some of them that I guess they think I'm healthy, and they keep wanting me to go with them to Tropical Smoothie. And I'm like, dude, they don't sell donuts there. <laughs> like, we're not. There's no pizza. There's no donuts. That strikes one through ten. Like, you know, we're, it's not happening. But, oh, you know, we, you should come, and we should go do that. I love it. And they want to do that with you. I, I think that there are times that we sit here and we say, well, we're too old and we're too this and we're too that. And I'm going to tell you, they're not looking for you to be cool. They're not looking for you to be able to speak all the same language that they speak. I mean, let's be real. It just sounds weird when we try. They're not looking for that. They're looking for real. They want to see a real faith lived out in a real way that they can really follow and they can really take hold of. That's what they're looking for. And it doesn't matter how old you are, you can offer that to them. Be real with them. Be sincere. Be compassionate when you look at them because yes, while they can be annoying at times, and yes, they can be loud and everything else, ultimately, they're lost. And if they're coming up to you and they're being loud and they're being all these things around you, it's because they saw something about you that said, hey, you know what? They can show me where I need to go. Be compassionate. Be willing to pray for them. I love the example given in Exodus chapter... Let me just find where I'm at in my notes. It's the one problem with never actually looking at my notes. In Exodus chapter 32... I love the example given to us of Moses. As we're turning there to give you the backstory, this is a time when Moses has gone up to the to the mountain to meet with the Lord, and the people have been down there with with Aaron, and they've brought him all their gold, and and he's turned it into a gold calf that they're now worshiping. And so now we see this conversation between the Lord and Moses, starting in verse 7. And it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. I love it because it sounds like the way I talk to my wife sometimes when I'm mad at the kids. Your kids did this. 
And he's telling Moses, your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hard against them and I may consume them and I will make of you a great nation. I mean, I feel like sometimes that's the way we pray. You know, we, we're annoyed with our kids and you are a stiff-necked people and I am going to get away from you so the Lord's wrath can come upon you and he will replace you and make of me a great nation. God be with you. You know, like that's the way we look at them sometimes. We get so annoyed. You know, there are times that even, again, I'll be talking to my son, and it'll turn, you know, I'll ask him a question, and it'll turn into an hour and a half discussion. And it'll have been something very simple, something very little, and it'll lead into all these other things. And by the end of it, I'm like, why? Lord, why? And man, sometimes we just want to walk away. But again, notice that's not what Moses did. In verse 11, it says, And Moses pleaded with the Lord his God. He pleaded with him. Think of the passion in that word. He didn't just ask. Again, as I've had children, I have now learned the difference between asking and pleading. You know, they'll ask for you know, a glass of milk. They will plead for a toy. It's something that there is passion and there is, you know what, it, it, I'm not moving until either I get it or I get spanked, one of the two. He pled, he pleaded. I'm clearly not a smart guy, so I don't know how to say that. He pleaded with the Lord and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? He goes on to intercede for them, to pray for them. Pray for them. Yeah, they're a stiff-necked people, but so were we. And let's be real, we still are. You know, it's one of those things that I learn from my nephew's prayer a lot because his prayer is, you know, whenever he prays for meals, he begins with, Lord, help us listen the first time. And I'm like, that's such a cool prayer. Because I feel like that should still be my prayer. Lord, help me to listen to the first, the first time, and I'm so sorry that I never do. But that's his prayer. And we need to pray for them. Lord, help them to listen. Lord, open their hearts. The prayer we pray before we start a study, Lord, prepare my heart for what you have for me today. Lord, prepare their hearts today for what they're going to face. Get on your knees. When you want to just... Put them outside at five years old and tell them, you know what, you know everything? Go find your own apartment. Instead of kicking out your toddler, pray for her. Maybe pray over her, because sometimes it's like, dude, there's something in you. 
I mean, get the oils and whatever, but pray for them, plead for them, fight for them, get on your knees, because again, it's a battle, and no, it's not you against them, it's the both of you fighting the battle for them, fighting for their soul, understand you're in this with them together, help them to see that, that man, you are not the enemy, the enemy is the accuser of their souls, the one that came to steal and to destroy And fight for them. You see that with Moses. I like even in Nehemiah chapter 1. The heart of Nehemiah as he looks and, and, and he asks for a report about the captives, about the people. And starting in verse 3, he begins to get it. And it says, And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. Notice Nehemiah's response. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Do we weep for them? Because just like they're lost and confused, they're tired and worn out, they're also, their walls are being broken down. Are we praying for them? Are we lifting them up? Are we battling for them? Do we have the heart of compassion, the heart of love? And then we hurt for them. See, they're not the enemy. They're the future of the church. They're valuable. And somewhere along the way, we sometimes forget that. And we begin to look at them as a nuisance. And okay, well, when you're older, then you can contribute, man. I would challenge you to come to VBS and you'll see them contributing now. VBS does not happen without the Timothys that show up. And some of you guys have had the opportunity to work with them and and again, I'm going to tell you, they may never come to you and say it, but they love to hear your stories. They come to the youth room on Wednesdays or sometimes even right after VBS is over. Oh, let me tell you what, you know, whoever my leader was, let me tell you what they told me. Like, that's so cool, huh, Pastor Sam? And I'm like, yeah, that is cool. Go away. (laughs) Go hear more stories. And I'm like, hey, that is cool. They love it. They look forward to it. Some of them, they sign up for the same activities every year because they know you're going to sign up for those activities. And they look forward to the time they get to spend with you that week. Because you listen to them. Because you encourage them. See them for what they are. You know, there's this movie that my dad and I like to watch. We like to watch war movies. There's a movie called We Were Soldiers. You know, I think some of you guys have seen it. And there's this scene that's, I, I feel like for me at least, it's very powerful. Where they're getting ready to be sent off into battle. And the commanding officer is addressing 
the, the families and, and also the soldiers that are about to be deployed. And he stands before them and he says, listen, we're about to go into the battle. And I can't promise that I'm going to bring all of you home. But what I will promise is this. My boots will be the first one to, to touch the battlefield and the last one to come off. And no man will be left behind. I feel like that should be the call for us, that our knees should be the first to hit the ground and the last to come up off, and that we leave none of these kids behind. That we are praying for them, that we're wearing out our knees praying for them, and you don't even have to know them to pray for them. You, don't, you can pray for your schools that are in your area. Some of you that have the time, you can go and take a walk around the, the, the campus and pray for it. You can be a part of the battle. And we have the opportunity to go into to these different campuses sometimes with Youth for Christ and to go in the middle of the day and conduct a Bible study there. And I'm going to tell you the fields are white with harvest because there are kids that we see that have no idea who God is, what church is, and any of that stuff. But man, they hear it, they see it's real, and they're coming up to the teachers. They're coming up to the pastors that go into those campuses. They're asking for prayer. They're looking for hope. Pray for these kids. They are not hopelessly gone. They are just lost. And they need the light. And we need to raise up the Timothys. We need to understand that sometimes it's the ones that are the troublemakers and that seem the worst that one day are going to be the worship pastors, the youth pastors, the head pastors. And I say that because, man, I gave my youth leaders headaches. I say that because I stand here today only because there were some of you and some in, in, throughout the church that were praying for my brother and I. We did not walk the straight and narrow our entire lives. We broke our parents' hearts. And it was your prayers that helped bring us back. Some of you that didn't even know what we were going through, that you were just praying for the pastor's families. And man, I'm going to tell you it made a difference. Some of you were my youth leaders, my children's ministry leaders. Some of you were leaders that I served under VBS. And man, you were my Pauls. You still are. Somebody was telling me, oh, well, now I have kids your age. And so now, you know, I'm the Paul to their grandkids. And I told her, you know what? You're still the Paul to us because we are learning to be parents. And we are looking at you to be the example of what a godly parent looks like. You're still raising us up. See, we all have that responsibility. And it's a great one, but it's also a great privilege. Don't forget it. And when we leave this place in a little bit, don't forget about all the little eyes that are on you. Whether they're the three-year-olds that look at you like you can solve every problem in the world, or they're the 17-year-olds that look, like you, look at you like you are the problem in the world. <laughs> they're looking at you. And there's this song by Phillips Craig and Dean that I remember hearing as a little boy. And I had to look up the lyrics because I just mentioned it Saturday and my mom you know, went ahead and put the lyrics up on, on the screen. So I was like, man, now I guess I better actually know what they say. 
But this song, it, it, it speaks to me. It says, Lord, I want to be just like you because he wants to be just like me. I want to be a holy example for his innocent eyes to see. Help me be a living Bible, Lord, that my little boy can read. I want to be just like you because he wants to be like me. And I'm going to tell you that you may not understand it and you may not think it, but they want to be like you. You may have nothing to do with them. You may not even be their parents. You may just be somebody that they see walking in the, in, in the church and they look at you and they've decided that you're cool and you're this and you're that and they want to be like you. Understand that. They're looking in here to see what they want to be when they get older. And we need to be leading them to the Lord. We need to be exampling it. It breaks my heart when kids come back and tell me, well, I used to think I wanted to be a missionary, but my parents kind of told me I shouldn't. I understand the fear. What, how are they going to support themselves and everything else? But I also understand that if that's where God has called them, then God's going to watch over them. And rather than being the wet blanket, yeah, be real with them. Tell them, hey, you're gonna, it's going to be a struggle. I tell kids that come tell me, hey, you know what, one day I want to be a pastor. I tell them, okay, you know what? You're going to struggle. You're not necessarily going to have some of the things you could have if you went in another profession. But you know what? There is nothing that can compare to it if this is where God's called you. Be real with them about what they're going to face, but don't discourage them from serving the Lord. Because we need those missionaries. They're looking. Where are we leading? And if you're a Timothy here, if you're one of those young people, find a Paul. Learn from them. And then go out and do what you've seen them do. And as you do that, find a Timothy for yourself. It's so worth it. And it's so necessary. Let's stand so we can pray. Lord, we come before you and we do thank you for the work that you're doing in our church, in, the, in, in our city, Lord. We thank you for the work that you're doing in the lives of our kids. And Lord, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives, Lord. And, and I thank you for the reminder that no matter how old we are, you're not done with us yet. That we're not done being able to serve the body. That Lord, that wisdom, that, that, that faith that you have put in the elders, in the, in the older generations, Lord, that that is so invaluable, those lessons are so priceless. And so I pray that you would break down the walls that we put up between us and them sometimes and that you would allow us to see them with compassion. Lord, I do want to lift up the, the educators and, and those that are in the, 
that education field that are working with these kids on a daily basis. That's a lot of times to see a lot more than we do. And I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them today, Lord, that you would give them wisdom, that you would encourage them, that what they do does not go unnoticed. It doesn't go just un, without any fruit in the lives of the kids that they speak to. Lord, that you would help them to continue to remain strong, to, to not grow weary. Lord, I pray for the parents in the room, Lord, whether they're now grandparents, great-grandparents, or just becoming parents, Lord. Lord, you would give us wisdom as well. And Lord, you would give us patience and that we would be long-suffering and that we would look and see them not with frustrated eyes, but with compassionate ones. Lord, we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you all need prayer, there will be men up in front to pray with you. I could just sit, I could just sit and wait for all your good, oh, to feel your presence, and I could just stand, I could just stand where I am and hope to feel, hope to feel something